Acts chapter 5, I want to read a, a portion of Scripture that is well known and pretty potent, and then we're going to use this as a place to start uh, the message tonight. Look at Acts chapter 5 and verse 27. We'll begin reading there and we'll read down through verse 29. Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 29. The Word of God says, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Verse 29, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Think about that. We ought to obey God rather than men. That's the title of the message this evening. You know, we've been blessed to live in a country with freedoms that allow us to worship God according to the Bible and our conscience. But what if that were to change? Uh, What if the government began to outlaw the practice of our faith? Who do we listen to then? And the Bible answer is pretty clear. We ought to obey God rather than men. But that's a complicated scenario, isn't it? How exactly would that work? How would it work in your family, in my family, for our church? And so I want to really just have a talk with us tonight, a talk for our church and those that uh, others, guests that might be listening, and really ask ourselves this hard question. Uh, what would we do if the government ever did outlaw Christianity? What would you do? And I'm not going to raise my voice a lot tonight, I don't think. I'm not going to preach a bombastic message. But I want to give you the truth of God, and we're going to walk through this. I want to show you some things from the Scripture. You say, preacher, do you think that's going to happen? I don't think so, but I don't know. I will tell you this, someday it'll happen. Someday it'll happen. Someday it'll happen. Let's read the book of Revelation. Is it going to happen in 2020? I don't think so. But we need to think through and think ahead so that we have our hearts and minds settled if, God forbid, we ever have to make some difficult choices. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the truth of the Scripture. We ask that you'd give me wisdom to say only what you'd have me tonight. I've got far more information here than I could possibly give In this format, you know, it's been on my heart and preachers all across the land are wrestling uh, with this. And Lord, we're thankful to live in a country. We're thankful to have an administration at this time that seems friendly to faith. And um, we're happy about that. Others would not be so kind uh, and so generous over the past few years with freedoms and promoting uh, true religion. And the freedom of it. But Lord, I just pray you'd help us in our own hearts to settle some things and to kind of pray and think ahead in Jesus' name. Amen. 
We pick up this story in Acts chapter 5, but the scene actually begins a little bit earlier in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John heal a lame man in the name of Christ in a popular public area. A crowd gathered and they began to preach the gospel and over 5,000 people were saved at that time. Now you'd think people would be happy about it. The government officials were not happy about it. Remember that under uh, the law of Jerusalem at that time, they were ruled civilly and religiously by the same body. It's called the council. It was a group of, of Pharisees and Sadducees. Uh, the Pharisees, very conservative according to the Old Testament law. The Sadducees, very liberal according to the Old Testament law. And a mix of those had, uh, full, or had control over the religious rights and over civil rights. But also remember that Jerusalem at that time was occupied by Rome. So Rome also had an official in the area. The one that you'd be most familiar with is Pontius Pilate. Remember, they took Jesus before Pilate. That's because they had to have the Roman permission to uh, condemn someone to death. Uh, But the Romans were very wise. They gave the people in their vast empire, they gave the local people a measure of freedom underneath Roman law, and they realized, wisely so, that that made them feel happier and safer if they were ruled locally by their own people as long as it was under the Roman law. But the Romans were very harsh and could come in at any time and put the hammer down. And a matter of fact, that happened in Jerusalem in 70 AD. There was a huge massacre and uh, blood flowing through the streets they talked about, the historians talked about. And so uh, Rome was a very, very difficult country. They uh, they they carried a very big stick, but they did allow the local governments and so uh, to have some control. So we see this scene, Acts chapter 4, this layman's healed. He begins to publish it. A crowd gathers. The preachers, like any good preacher, gospel preacher would do, took the occasion to begin to preach the gospel. And over 5,000 people were saved. What a blessing. But the civil authorities detained, arrested the disciples. And they were ordered by the religious and civil governing body called the council to halt all preaching in the name of Christ. Look at Acts chapter 4 and verse 16. I just want you to see a little bit of this. Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 16, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle had been, hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Now it's interesting that the government officials would have denied it if they could. They would have said that it didn't even happen if the people would have believed it. And Americans have always had a little bit of distrust for government. A little bit of distrust for that type of authority because even the founders knew that under the right conditions it could very easily turn into a tyranny. And here we have, they would have denied it, but they couldn't deny it because it was so well known and so public. Verse 17, but that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them. That's the disciples. They're going to threaten the disciples that they speak henceforth to no man in his name. And they, the council, called them the disciples and commanded them, the disciples, not to speak at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God, Judge ye, 
For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all the men glorified God uh, for that which was done. And so you understand, they wanted to, this, this governmental body wanted to punish them right then, but they couldn't because this deed had been done and the, the, the uh, civilians were uh, praising God for what had happened. There probably would have been a riot if they would have punished these people for doing something so good, even if it was in the name of the guy that had just been killed not too long ago uh, by capital punishment, hanging on a cross. But they did threaten them and they outlawed the preaching of the gospel, soul winning, street preaching, gospel preaching, proselytizing were all prohibited by law. Jail and torture would be the punishment. What was the response of the disciples? Did they run and hide in their homes? Did they cower? No, they... They went back to the church house and they began to pray. I look back at verse 23, Acts chapter 4, verse 23. And being let go, they, the disciples, went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. And they began to pray and look down at verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. See, these disciples didn't surrender to governmental demands and halt the exercise of their faith. No, they went back to to one another and they assembled and began to pray for strength and boldness to continue to serve God in the face of a hostile government. And these spirit-filled disciples eventually did fill Jerusalem with the doctrine of Christ as they spread the gospel with power and with boldness. But it doesn't end there. They kept preaching. People kept getting saved. Multitudes were saved, in fact, and thousands came to Jerusalem from surrounding areas to have their sick healed by the apostles. Understand at this time, God was using sign gifts to put his stamp of approval on the gospel of Christ and on the beginning of of the local church and the church age. And so they had incredible power to heal uh, as, as Christ did, and people were coming from all the surrounding areas. Imagine Jerusalem being filled with people uh, in the name of Jesus seeking healing and salvation. Well, the council was furious that these religious fanatics did not heed their first warning. In a flex of civil power, the Sadducees arrested the disciples, put them in jail for the night. The next morning, a crowd gathered for a public trial, and they sent someone to bring the prisoners. But the prisoners weren't in jail. They were gone. 
You see, the council didn't know that that night God sent an angel to open the doors of the jail and let out the preachers. So while these governmental leaders are sitting there in shock, wondering to where, how big this thing's going to grow and what they're going to do and where in the world are these people, another messenger runs in and says, the guys you're supposed to have on trial right now are preaching again in the street. Imagine how furious they must have been. The council sent soldiers to get these stubborn preachers once again. But they didn't arrest them with any violence because the crowd was so enjoying the healing and the gospel message that the soldiers themselves feared the crowd rising up against them. And they brought the people these preachers, these stubborn preachers, back to the council. And we pick up our text in Acts chapter 5, verse 27, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Would be to God we could fill Rhode Island with his doctrine, New England with his doctrine the world with his doctrine. And then they say, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Well, his blood already was upon you. If you remember, they literally said, crucify him, crucify him. And when Pilate objected, they said, let his blood be upon us and on our children. It was their fault. The blame did lie with them, humanly speaking. But guilty people don't like to be called guilty, do they? Verse 29, we see the clear answer. Then Peter and the other apostles, Peter was a spokesperson, but they were all in agreement, answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now he said something similar In chapter 4, verse 19, it just wasn't as forceful. He asked them a question, whether it be right in the sight of God, in the sight of God to hearken to you more than God, judge ye. So he basically put it on them. He said, you figure it out. Anybody with a brain knows that you listen to God more than you listen to a man. You listen to God, he's God. He has all authority, all power. Jesus said, don't be afraid of those that can kill the body. Be afraid of him that can kill the body and the soul in hell. But see, when you don't fear the Lord, you do fear men. And some men are scary. But ultimately, God must hold first place. This brings us to the age-old question. What do Christians do if the government outlaws obedience to God? What do Christians do If the government outlaws obedience to God. You see, the answer from the scripture is clear. We ought to obey God rather than men. God trumps the government every single time. That's easy to say. It's hard to do. It's hard to practice. It's a very complicated thing when you... God forbid, have to go against the government. 
See, government is ordained by God. Government has real power given to them by God Himself. And we won't do the Bible study on this next statement, but you need to understand there are three institutions ordained by God. The family, the government, and the church. And each one of them have their own jurisdictions and powers. Now, if they are run the way God intended them to be run, they don't conflict. The family, the government, and the church don't conflict if they're run properly. Unfortunately, sometimes they do conflict if one oversteps its bounds into the area of another. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes families want to run the church. Sometimes a a church and a proud preacher wants to dictate. I knew a preacher one time that he literally demanded that everybody in the church love his favorite sports team. Now now you're stepping on my toes. Because you ain't ever going to get me to like the Yankees. It ain't going to happen. I'll die first. Some things are worth dying for. But sometimes the government will try to tell the family what to do. Sometimes the government will try to control the church. But see, the government was ordained by God, but it had a very specific function. The government was created by God to protect its citizens and punish evildoers. And you can read about that in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. And I've got the verses here. We won't read them for time's sake. But they had real power. The government has real power to punish evildoers and to protect the citizens. Now, if you've ever been to a country or talked to someone who's been from a country that didn't have a working government, you can be thankful for the protections we enjoy here in Wakefield. There are protections. And thank God for a police force that tries to do a good job. Thank God for a, a government that that does try to protect its citizens. But what if the government begins to overreach? Big debate recently about socialism and communism with Bernie Sanders running and looked for a while like he might win the Democratic nomination, but he didn't win it. But at the same time, he pulled Joe Biden so far left, Joe Biden's basically running as a socialist himself. We've got socialists, communists, And Muslims who believe in Sharia law in the American government. This is why Islam is different from every other religion, because true Muslims believe in something called Sharia law. Islam has a religious component and a civil component. Christians are not trying to bring in the Old Testament in this day and age. Muslims who who are are faithful Muslims, they do believe in this thing called Sharia law in most cases, and that is absolutely the opposite of our Constitution. But what if evildoers begin running the government? The government was meant to protect the citizens and punish the evildoers, but what if the government begins to protect the evil and punish the just? 
You say, oh, Pastor, that could never happen. It's happened for 2,000 years all across the world. And I fear that sometimes we Americans, we take uh, so much for granted because this is all we've ever known. America has been a unique country blessed amazingly by God. We have freedoms that other countries can only dream of. See, Christians have faced persecution and restriction for 2,000 years. Christians killed by the hundreds of millions over the last 2,000 years by governments and religious fanatics. He said, oh, preacher, we're safe from that here in America. Well, we have lived in relative peace and prosperity. But this coronavirus situation has been the first time in a lifetime that personal rights have been affected and infringed in such an overt way. We are seeing things happen in our lifetime that some of us would have thought couldn't happen in America. Who would have thought that the government would tell you you can't go to church? Who would have thought that the government would say families living in the same town can't go to the same house on Easter and have dinner? That's ridiculous. The governor of Michigan, you can't buy seeds to plant your garden. You can't buy guns to protect your family. But you can buy weed and alcohol and get an abortion because those are essential services. In America. In America. Now, Americans have agreed to this quarantine and to the suspension of normal American life because of a common threat. And we've done that here at our church. We have gone along with what the government has recommended for the most part. We try not to be disruptive. We understand that this is a time where people are scared. And in the beginning, they were talking about this coronavirus could be the start of the zombie apocalypse. Or hundreds of millions could die across the planet. Echoing back to the Spanish flu of 1918. And that fear, all of us in that case, with the information we know, do you want your loved ones to die or would you just like to hold up for a little bit and and see how this plays out? Give us a little time to, to work through this. And as Americans and as a church, we've said, we'll do that. But what this has shown us And I believe, if nothing else, Satan is just poking around to see what's soft. He's trying some different things. You better believe there are wicked politicians taking notes about how everybody's responding during this thing. Just like a robber before he cases the joint might set off the fire alarm just to check response times and different things. What what are people willing to put up with? I'm not saying that anything bad is going to happen. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but you better mark it down. There are wicked people taking notes. 
hoping to use what they are learning. If they can't make fundamental changes to our nation today, they will try in the future. We don't like to think about those things. You're like, preacher, I want you to encourage me tonight. (laughs) I've been working hard to encourage you the last few weeks. But what concerns me, again, not not that I think that the country is going to fall apart, but I am concerned at watching politicians take this way too far. Even now when they tell us the curve is flattening and things aren't as bad, they are slapping more and more restrictions on. Well, if things are getting better, why are you tightening down more? Another thing that doesn't make sense is they have done nothing to fix the problem. What they've been doing and all the precautions we take, we've taken is actually, by their estimation, elongating the problem. And so they're already talking about it perhaps coming back a second time, maybe a second shutdown this fall, maybe a second shutdown here or there. Maybe this is all going to happen again. You know, the rapture could happen before I get done talking, before the week's out. Or we could be here until the end of our natural lives. That's all up to God. But I do know this. As Americans, we get soft. We get soft in our Christianity. Our commitment can waver. And good night, there are tens of millions of people in America who claim to be Christians that can't even be bothered to get up out of bed and go to church on Sunday morning. Christians that go to church can't be bothered to even throw on a tie or put a few bucks in the offering plate. I mean, how many Christians in America are willing to serve God as long as it doesn't cost them anything? But what if it starts costing you something to name the name of Christ? What if it begins to require sacrifice to obey the Lord? And I'm not trying to scare anybody tonight. I'm just bringing up some obvious questions. What if the government continued to demand these restrictions beyond reason? Already local officials have overreached and police have been confused about enforcing the law. These are a few things that have happened in America in the past few weeks. One man sitting on a bench in an empty park drinking a cup of coffee was approached by two police officers and threatened with an $800 fine if he didn't leave. And he said, I'm sitting in a park alone. And they said, go home or you're getting an $800 fine. Does that make sense to anybody? One man, and this was a viral video, one man was pulled out of a Philadelphia public bus by his feet by 10 police officers for not wearing a mask when the law didn't require it. Law didn't require it. Didn't stop him from yanking him off a bus by his feet, throwing him up against the bus, wrestling him down in America. 
One woman was arrested for driving alone in her car just to get out of the house. The police pulled her over because she was on a road in a state where the they were cracking down even more. And she said, they said, why are you out? And they said, she said, well, I just need to get some fresh air. And they arrested her in America. One man was arrested and handcuffed in front of his children for playing catch in public with his daughter. Arrested and handcuffed in front of his children for playing catch with his daughter in America. Liquor stores and abortion clinics are open while the churches are closed in America. Governors in some states banned drive-in church services even though they were within guidelines. One place blocked the entrance to the church with police cars and put nails in the road to stop people from pulling on to their church parking lot and staying in their cars and listening to the preacher with their windows up through the FM radio in America. On Easter Sunday, officials in some states threatened to take down license numbers and give up to $100,000 for those who would dare to attend drive-in services. A church in Greenville, Mississippi had every on-duty cop in, in town on the church property warning people to stay away from an Easter service. Those who stayed were fined $500, and the pastor recorded a policeman saying, your rights are suspended. The pastor says, we, we have rights. It's the First Amendment. And the officer said, your rights are suspended. Virtually saying, you have no rights in America. Recently, a governor was asked on TV about the extreme measures being enforced in his state in light of the Bill of Rights. Basically, the man asked, how do you square what you're doing with the Bill of Rights? And the governor replied, I wasn't thinking about the Bill of Rights. At least he's honest. These things are happening in America. You see, the Bill of Rights was added to the American Constitution because the state's at that time that were forming the Union, feared that the Constitution didn't do enough to restrain government. We live in a day where people want the government to do more and more in this cradle-to-the-grave society. Pay for me to get born, pay for me all the way through, pay to bury me. That's, that's socialism, communist, baloney. That's talk of tyranny. The Founding Fathers and the first Americans were fearful. They had seen what kings and queens did in Europe. They knew how they lived. They had to flee. And their families fled nations where they didn't have the simple freedoms that you and I take for granted every single day. And the Bill of Rights was created so that people would step back and relax and sign on to forming this new union with confidence that the government wouldn't restrain their freedoms. 
And all this is happening in America. I'm not trying to scare you. But I'm trying to open your eyes. Most people are too busy binge-watching Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or whatever to care what's going on. The government leaves the liquor stores open so you can get drunk enough to not care, gives you enough money to get by. We better pay attention. Better open our eyes. Our church is complied, has complied with these government recommendations. And I believe it was wise too, and is wise too, with, and was wise with so many unknowns about the virus. And we're praying for wisdom about what to do going forward. We don't want to cause trouble. We don't want to be difficult. Matter of fact, Christians are the greatest citizens in America. Christians don't riot. We don't kill people. We don't demand things from others. We just want to be left alone to raise our families and serve God according to the Bible and our conscience. But tyrants fear Christians. And don't, don't miss what I'm about to say because it's absolutely true. Tyrants fear Christianity. Because they know that you might control a Christian's body, but you'll never get his heart. You'll never get his mind. That belongs to somebody else. We already have a master named Jesus. And you can throw us in a jail cell to rot. You can strap us to a stake and set us on fire like a candle. But you can't have our heart. And tyrants fear that. If you notice, the only thing that restrained the council in Acts chapter 4 and 5 was the people. Was enough people rising up and saying, no. Now, if you say no, there's enough government to take you out. If 10 people say no, if 20, if 30, if 100... What about a million? Ten million. Three hundred and forty plus million people in America. I was listening to one commentator and they said, What if we all just decided to go to work tomorrow? But it's the fear. It's the fear that keeps everybody quiet. Until sometimes, and you, you study atrocities in other nations, what usually happens is government takes more and more control, more and more control. A few people try to step up and they get silenced or they get jailed or imprisoned or taken out or made an example of. And by the time the population figures out that they all need to stand up together, government has gotten enough power. By that time, usually it's taken away all their guns. It's put in so many restrictions that the people can't stand up together without bloodshed and revolution. You say, Pastor, are you calling for a revolution? Absolutely not. I'm calling for revival. I'm not calling for people to take up arms. I'm calling for people to take up the Bible. 
calling for people. I'm not calling for people necessarily to stand up. The first thing we need to do is get down on our knees and humble ourselves and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. But I am a preacher who is reminding Christians out there, are your eyes open? Are you paying attention? Rome burned and Caesar blamed the Christians. We've been blessed in America. But for 2,000 years, Christians have gotten the short end of the stick. Some recant, some hide, but there's always been people who've said, I'm standing with Jesus no matter what. I'm just going to stand with Jesus no matter what. What if Christians were told to stop obeying God under the penalty of fines and imprisonment? Now, this may not happen in your lifetime, but it could. And I know we often comfort ourselves with the thought that the rapture will hopefully happen before things get too bad. But I remind you that our Lord warned us of dangerous times before His return. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. They could come to America. They could come to America. Now, I'm not advocating revolt. I'm not championing disobedience. And if anybody tries to take my words out of context, you can help me correct them. I'm not asking for anything other than for Christians to open their eyes and we all have to decide in our hearts, what's Paul Chapman going to do if, if that day comes? What's Curtis Corner Baptist Church going to do if that day comes? What are you going to do if that day comes? The question I'm asking tonight is where is the line? How much would you take? At what point would you disobey the government's laws to obey God's laws? And I will remind you that some things are worth fighting for. A few things are even worth dying for. The Apostle Paul, who was a great Christian, eventually died for his faith. He had his head chopped off with a guillotine. But he was ready. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6-7 through said, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure or death is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. See, is it more important for us to die faithfully to God or to live a comfortable life? That's a choice you're going to have to make. To get you thinking tonight, and we're about done, to get you thinking, I want to just give you a couple areas that we need to decide whether we're going to obey God or man. And these are a few areas that I think just aren't up for debate. These are areas where I think that we need to obey God rather than man. The first is to confess Christ publicly. Confess Christ, confess Christ publicly. You say, well, preacher, I can tell anybody I'm a Christian. You know, there's, there's places in the world where you can't. 
Do you know this weekend in Muslim countries there are Christians hiding and meeting, and if they get caught, they die? Do you know there are Middle Eastern brothers and sisters right now that if their father knew they believed in Jesus, their father would kill them? Their mother would hold them down. Their brothers and sisters would hold them down and consent unto their death for simply saying they believe in Jesus. And the sad fact is, for over 200 years, we've had freedom in America to preach Christ, and the average Christian has never won another soul to Jesus. The average person that claims the name of Christ has never brought anybody else into the household of faith because they're too fearful of what people will think of them. But what if that freedom gets taken? Do you know during the Inquisition, the Catholic Church would come to people and if you didn't confess faith in the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope, they would kill you. They would ask you if you wanted to recant. They would tie you up and put you in front of people and perhaps have you on your knees or perhaps tie you to a stake and one more time ask you if you want to recant. One more time ask, ask you if you will renounce faith solely in Christ, if you will renounce your faith in Christ for salvation and you would pledge allegiance and faith to the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church. And some did. Some valued their lives and said, I'll, I'll say whatever you want me to. I'll believe whatever you want me to. But countless others confessed their faith in Christ while they burned. One account written down is of one faithful preacher, and in that region he was a pretty powerful preacher and well-known. They Hung him, they, they, they tied him to a stake and they stacked the wood around him. They asked him if he wanted to recant and he preached a little bit until they shut him up. They lit him on fire. And they said as the, as the wood got closer and began to burn, you could actually hear the skin begin to sizzle as the person would run out of breath and take breaths from blood-curdling screams as the pain of their flesh being burned off their body. Your nostrils would be filled with that awful smell of burning human hair and hearing the skin sizzle like bacon on a griddle. But this one man, God gave him grace and he sang a hymn as he burned. That'll probably never happen to you. But how far would you go to say, no, I believe in Jesus? No, sir, I believe in Jesus. And I think that's something that we can never give up, is a personal and public confession in Jesus Christ. I don't blame my brothers and sisters now who live in countries where if they do that, they die. I don't blame them for keeping their faith a secret so they can live and grow and perhaps even try to win others. 
But what I'm telling you is, why would we allow America to become that place? Why would we ever, who have freedom, allow it to be taken away from us? The second thing, I think, the second area we ought to obey God rather than man is to preach Christ boldly. And we see that in the scriptures. The disciples refused to stop preaching and evangelizing when it was outlawed. They refused. I got a message from a a guy who lives in a western state. His town outlawed soul winning. It's outlawed. He had a piece of paper from the government confirming that soul winning Telling people about Christ on the street, knocking on people's doors, is against the law. He said, what do I do? I basically said, all I can tell you is what I would do. I said, first thing I'd do is start praying. Second thing I'd do is get real creative getting out the gospel. Third thing I'd do is call CLA or NCLL and ask them to help. Because governments try to overreach. But ultimately, it comes a place where he said, either I'm going to move and go to a place where I can share my faith, or I'm going to get in trouble with the law, or I'm going to be quiet. Those are your choices. But see, that's a personal decision. I can't tell a man what to do, no more than you can tell me what to do. You have to decide. I think the confess Christ publicly, preach Christ boldly, Number three, assemble together peaceably. God's people assemble in private in hostile countries all over the world. They say there's over 200 millions in China that this weekend met in private because they didn't want to go to the state-run church where the, the communist government tells them what they can and can't say. They'll take hours sneaking into the same place so, they, so nobody sees a group coming because their neighbors will turn them in. Just last month, pastors were arrested in one country simply for preaching the gospel and meeting with their churches. Now, I'm thankful that we can meet in America but I don't want America to come to that place where we have to ask the government's permission to whether or not we can go to church. Is that what you want America to become? Now, as I said, in this coronavirus situation, we have willingly said we will follow the government's lead in some of this stuff. We don't know what's going on. All we know is what people are telling us. It does look like that this virus is very contagious. We know that. It does look like some people have a very hard time with this and it is killing people. We also know that it's not as deadly as they first thought it was. And as the data starts to come in, we're all going to have decisions to make. We want to comply. We want to have a good testimony in our community. But at the same time, let me tell you something, Christian friend. I got a real problem if the government starts telling me when I can and can't go to church and I don't have a say. 
a real problem. So what are you going to do? Right now we're following guidelines. And I'm happy to do so. But if the government begins to make decisions that are foolish and take this thing out much further than it needs to go from what common sense tells us, there's a whole lot of people in America that would rather die of a virus than live a life under the thumb of a government that tells them whether or not they can buy seeds and guns and walk down the street. In Michigan, the governor said, if you have one home and you own another home outside of the city, it's against the law for you to get in your car and drive to your home. Good luck with that. There's a whole lot of people in America that would say, that's not the America that I want to live in. You say, what do you want us to do? Revolt? Riot? I want you to pray. Second, First uh, Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, I exhort therefore that first of all prayers and supplications and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. The first thing we need to do is pray that God gives our government wisdom and that we are able to lead, lead a Christian life in peace and honesty. And I'll tell you what, I'm very thankful right now that we have a president and an administration that up to this point has been so pro-faith. If we had a government that we knew at every turn they were trying to block Christianity, I would be far more nervous than I have been up to this point, wouldn't you? But at the same time, we know there's wicked people in the government plotting and planning. We're talking about a few areas where we must obey God rather than men assemble peaceably. So we're going along with government recommendations. And I plan and I fully expect things to open up and for us to be able to go back to normal. But if they were to tell this preacher that our church couldn't meet without their permission for no good reason, I'm still going to be a church. I think number four, raise my family biblically. The government has no biblical authority to tell parents how to raise their kids. But yet leftists and liberals seek to exert their wicked philosophies in the homes. They don't think Americans know how to pack a lunch for their kids. So they tell you what you can and can't bring in the lunch. They try to tell you, uh, we, got, we got kindergarten and first graders now being read story hour by drag queens. And these people want to come in my home and your home and tell us how we ought to run our homes. That's not going to fly. They've already taken over the schools. Do we let them have our living rooms too? No. 
We believe in the fundamental right to raise our children according to the Word of God. Hillary Clinton wrote a book years ago, It Takes a Village. Her thought was that you can't raise your kids by yourself. You need a lot of people's help raising your kids. The government believes, some government officials and school officials, not all of them, thankfully we've got some good ones around here, but some school officials will say things like, when your children come to our school, they belong to us. No, they don't. Legally, they don't belong to you. Spiritually, they don't belong to you. Philosophically, they don't belong to you. Commonsensically, they don't belong to you. And you are an insane person if you believe that kind of foolishness. But I guarantee you there are people who right now are plotting and planning, and it's more difficult in some parts of the country than others. They want to walk right in your living room and tell you how to raise your kids. No. I think that's something worth fighting for, something worth standing up against. Lastly, an area that we ought to obey God rather than man is to live for Christ faithfully. Everybody's line is going to be different. But what are you willing to fight for? What are you willing to stand up against and say no? What are you willing to say, I'll go to jail for that? I'll pay a fine for that. I'll die for that. I will die for that. But you can't have that. And you have to come up with your own line. You have to decide in your heart what you would do. The Bible is full of examples of people who hazarded their lives to obey God. Consider this summary of faith, and we'll close in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, through the end of the chapter, says, And what shall I more say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, and of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. That's the victory part. These people through faith were victorious. The next verse tells of people who through faith died victoriously, but they still died. Their faith gave them the power to die in a way that honored God. Without giving up the gospel, without denying Christ, without turning away from following God faithfully. The next verse says they quenched the violence of fire. As they were burned and it didn't feel it escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in flight, in fight, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured. See, some people got delivered, but some were tortured. Some people were set free and some were set on fire. Some people were cut a break and others were cut in half. But they were all victorious in the estimation of God. Now I'd rather be the guy that gets cut a break rather than being cut in half. I'm a little thicker than most anyway, so I don't think they would even try that on me. There are benefits to being a large man. See, it said, they, listen to this, and others were tortured not accepting deliverance. 
will stop torturing you if you deny Christ. I love Jesus. We'll stop torturing you if you get rid of that Bible. I love the Word of God. We'll let you out of prison if you'll stop preaching. John Bunyan of Pilgrim Progress fame. I believe it was 15, 16 years he rotted in the Bedford prison and they, they told him, John, if you just stop preaching on the street, we'll let you go. If you just get a government license and preach where we tell you, we'll let you go. And he stayed in prison for over a decade. Because he said, I'm going to preach God's word. They sent his little daughter to him one day and said, Daddy, they said you could come home. Daddy, they said you could come home. And he said, Honey, I can't come home because if I come home, they won't let me preach Jesus. And sweetie, I got to preach Jesus. What commitment compare that to our commitment to Christ? And it says they didn't accept deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. They were willing to die here so they could have rewards up there and please the Lord in heaven. And others had a trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. That's taking big rocks and throwing them at them until their bones break and their skull broke and blood coming out. They were sawn asunder, literally stretched tight to the arms and the legs and cut in half. They were tempted and were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. Sometimes they were just excommunicated and they weren't allowed to buy and sell or live in town. And they wandered in the wilderness as the homeless vagabonds. They said, I'd rather die on a mountainside than live disappointing my Lord. Compare that to our Christianity today. Being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Look what God says, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received the promise. Received not the promise. Thank you. They received not the promise. See, on earth they died without having yet received the good. See, it's easy for us to, to live for God. Man, you, you got some health and you got a little money. You got a nice little house. You got a car. You got a job. I mean, yeah, we got tough times and trials and sickness. But you know what? Things are pretty good. What if your life was all bad? What if it was all bad, but still by faith you could say, I'm willing to live this way on earth, not having received the goodness that God has promised me, knowing that it will come in the next life. Just as Lazarus, who was poor and begged, but he went to heaven and the rich man fared sumptuously and had the pleasures of this life and he opened up his eyes in hell. Which would you rather be? Then that last verse, see, they received not the promise, but then the last verse, God having provided some better thing for us. Wait a minute. How does their sacrifice connect to us today? God says they died and suffered in faith, but God's connecting that suffering and their testimony to you. What's it say? God having provided some better thing for us, 
that they without us should not be made perfect or whole and complete. Here's the truth. God says, I want you to look back at them and their examples of faith and you follow their example. And as we too, we are encouraged by their faith. We are convicted by their faith. We say, good night, look at their faith. And I can't even put 10% in the offering plate. I can't even go back to church on Sunday night. I can't even be bothered to go to church on Wednesday night. I can't be bothered to open my mouth for Christ because I'm afraid about what Bob at work will think about me or what Susie's going to say of me at the store. And, And these people die. And God says when you connect yourself to their faith and example and you step into that and say, I want some of that today. I want some of that commitment. I want some of that strength and resolve. The Bible says it not only encourages us and helps us, but it makes them perfect. It completes The circle where still today the people that were burned at the stake and were sawn in half are still receiving rewards today in heaven because their testimony affects you and I tonight. See, don't forget this whole thing's bigger than our 401k or what kind of car you drive or how comfortable you are. We serve an eternal God. And these examples of the martyrs should embolden us and instruct us. So here's a simple question tonight. Where's your line? What are your deal breakers? Where do you draw a line in the sand and say, no? I'm not talking about picking up arms talking about picking up the banner of the cross. I'm not talking about rising up in revolt. I'm talking about revival. And if none of that happens, where you say, I will live for Christ and I will die for Christ. You might take my wealth and my freedom and my body, but you, sir, you, ma'am, You government, you cannot have my soul. And you can't have my heart. You can't have my allegiance. That already belongs to Jesus Christ. The Bible answer is plain. We ought to obey God rather than men. You say, preacher, do you think this is all going to happen this week? No. You know what I'm going to do tomorrow? I'm going to get up. I'm going to read my Bible and pray. I'll make sure my kids and my wife are okay. i got some jobs to do around the house. I'm going to work on my sermon for Wednesday. So what are you going to do tomorrow, preacher? I'm going to live my life. And Tuesday I'm going to live my life. And Wednesday I'm going to live my life in faith. Walking in faith. Walking in joy and peace and love. Trusting God every step of the way. And I expect that before too long we're all going to be back humming. Everything's going to be okay. But see this message may not be for now. It might be for next year. Or 10 years from now. Or 
25 years from now, 50 years from now. But I beg you, when things go back and we all get back in our schedules, I pray that from this crisis we will all take with us a new resolve, a new commitment to Christ, and a new awareness of what's going on, and a new place in my heart that says I'm not just going to live for Christ, and I will live for Him. But there are things worth fighting for. And there are a few things worth dying for. And if it ever comes down to it, and God forbid, if it ever comes down to it in America where the, the government or the law says you cannot obey your God, the Bible says we ought to obey God rather than men. Amen? Let's pray. Father, pretty heavy stuff tonight. And... I don't want to cause anybody any distress, and I know everybody's just trying to make it through this and figure it out and stay on top side, and I think everything's going to be okay, but whether it's okay or not, we're just still going to trust you, and I pray that we would open our eyes and that we would live with a new resolve, that, that we wouldn't be drunken on the things of this world that we wouldn't play while Rome is burning. We wouldn't fiddle while the Titanic's sinking. We wouldn't be unaware. But Lord, we could stand strong. And we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Even now, Lord, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus you'd protect our country. We pray in the almighty name of Jesus Christ that you'd bind Satan from our president and his cabinet and those that would try to lead them wrongly. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ that you would bind and hinder those who, in our government who want to fundamentally transform our freedoms and seeking their own ends and trying to capitalize on every crisis with fear. And we've learned that Americans are willing to give up their freedoms if they're promised security, but they usually end up with neither. Open the eyes of Americans. Help us to... Saved and lost alike, help us to be aware, holding the government accountable. And Lord, we pray that we could continue to have freedom in America to live a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. So Lord, thanks for the time tonight. We took a little bit extra time. I pray that people be blessed by it and that no one would misunderstand what I'm trying to say this evening. I'm not asking for anything negative to happen. But I am calling on Christians to resolve themselves to some things and that we could be strong in the Lord and the power of His might in the face of whatever enemy would stand against you. And so we ask tonight that you dismiss us with your blessing. We love you. Keep us all safe. Again, give people finances and protection and, and help us all to be able to walk in faith this week. Take care of our church folks. I sure do miss them. I just love them so much, and, and even those that perhaps you'll bring our way online, I just pray they'd feel loved and prayed for and know that they have a church community here that uh, is pulling for them.
And so we pray you dismiss us with your blessing and protection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.